Welcome to the Bird Enough Podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. This is episode number 44 and today's guest is one of South Africa's best known birders, Trevor Hodica. Trevor sends out the South African rare bird email to thousands of birders every week. Last year he broke the Cape Town 150km challenge record, seeing an impressive 372 species over the course of the year. I chat to him about this record-breaking year, as well as getting many tips on great birding spots in the area, as well as how to see more birds in challenges. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes, as well as the Birdlasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. Before we hear from Trevor, I want to give you a short update on what has been happening on the various Birding Life platforms. Every Saturday night at 6pm, the latest episode of the Birding Life Youth Podcast is posted. Last week's guest was Mark Haystack, who tells us all about his latest birding adventures. Kelvin has been busy making great content for our YouTube channel. Amongst the recent highlights was a vlog showing his recent trip to the Roselands Nature Reserve in search of the critically endangered Blue Swallow. On our website, we post various birding-related blogs on exciting birding locations, book and equipment reviews, and tips. Amongst the latest posts is an article to help beginners get started with birdwatching, as well as a great article by Tyron where he tells us what he feels is the best camp in the Kruger National Park. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with someone else. Please also follow us on our various social media pages. All the relevant links will be in the comments section of this podcast, as well as all relevant links for Trevor. So let's dig into today's episode. Okay, Trevor, you were the first guest on the Birding Life podcast, and I actually can't believe that this will actually be episode number 44. So welcome to the Birding Life podcast again. Yeah, thanks very much, Adam. And wow, well done, eh? 44 episodes. That's that's impressive going. I'm sure it's uh, turned into a much bigger thing than than you originally envisaged it would. Yeah, no, it's going crazy. I'm amazed with the guests we've been able to speak to. I mean, we've got some really amazing guests and people that I looked up to, and I'm totally blown about the people we've had, to, we've been able to chat to on the show. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, and it's uh, oh, it's another great add-on to the everything in the birding community in Southern Africa. So well done. Oh, thanks, Trevor. It's great to have you on the show again. So we're not going to rehash a lot of the stuff that we chatted about in the first episode. So if somebody wants to go and listen, go back and listen to episode number one and episode number two. You'll hear all about Trevor's fascination with cars and hear back to the first car he had and a whole lot of really cool stories. So go back and listen to those episodes. It's some good content in there. But we're going to be chatting about your Bird Lassa Cape Town 150 kilometer challenge from last year. And you smashed it out the park 372 species. I don't know, what was the previous record? Uh, 343 species was the previous record. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, just to start off, what is interesting is as much as your record was amazing is that four birders also went past the 350 bird mark and that's in a lockdown year. I think perhaps the lockdown almost helped in a way because it, it restricted the movements of people. So it meant they, they had to concentrate on a, a lot more local birding rather than birding further afield. And um, last year was also a year in which for whatever reason, a number of people decided to take part. So 
always when you have more people out in the field, more good birds are going to be found. I mean, that stands to reason. So, you know, we all benefited from having more people out in the field that were finding these birds and that we could all chase after. Yeah, so for the context of those who maybe listen to this podcast from overseas or might listen to this podcast a few years down the line, 2020 was obviously the COVID-19 year. Um, We had a level five lockdown, I think it was for about five weeks. And what that meant was we couldn't even leave our properties. So for most of the birds for those five weeks, it was literally garden birds. You know, I don't know, did you start the year last year intending to break the record or did it just actually happen? No, um, no. In fact, I didn't even start the year off thinking I was going to do the challenge. Uh, it was about two weeks or just over two weeks into the year when I, I sort of sat down and, and just looked at what I'd seen already for the year and thought, well, you know, I've been fortunate enough, but I've managed to see a lot of very good birds already that would be tough in any year. So maybe I should give it a go. And that's really what sparked the whole thing. Um, so it wasn't any, you know, on the 1st of January, I started off racing around trying to get this big year off, but it only happened halfway through January that I that I cut, suddenly thought, okay, look, uh, I've got a good start already by default. Let me see how it can go. And then looking at it, um, I, I did some calculations. And, and at that stage, I thought that even then it was going to be very, very tough to get to the 343. But uh, yeah, we just had a lot of fortune come our way with good birds last year so it all all worked in our favor so one of my favorite shows is i'm a a fan of how i met your mother i'm actually going through and doing a whole rerun on netflix at the moment and there's this one episode where bonnie stenson goes for a perfect week i'm not going to go into the whole context for those who haven't watched it but halfway through the week he doesn't want to tell people he's doing this perfect this he's going after this perfect week in case he jinxes it so was there a point last year where you know when people asked you you didn't want to really say too much that you were going after this record just in case you jinxed it (laughs) <laughs> Man, you know, obvi- obviously, as soon as I registered on Bird Lasser for the challenge, everybody knew that I was then taking part. So it wasn't a case of, of hiding the fact that I was taking part in the challenge. I think along the way, uh, you know, a lot of people asked, oh, you know, are you are you going to get the record? Are you going for it or whatever? And my answer generally was, you know, um, it's a very tough record to get, but I'm going to give it as best to go as I can. And I had a very good first three months until the end of March. And then obviously we were locked down. So so then it, it put all plans on the back burner for, oh, well, it was more than five weeks because we had level five and then we moved to level four and we could only bird within five kilometers of our, of our home from six to nine in the morning. Um, so it, it, yeah, for more than two months, I was really stuck and, I, and I, I wasn't improving the list at all. And then I think it was in June, we were eventually set free, as it were, and, and moved to level three or whatever it was. And yeah, then I just started going crazy and chasing after as much as I could. And uh, yeah, it came, I think I broke the record in, I must go back and look now, I think it was in July or August already everything just fell into place and there were so many good birds that started turning up that people had found so um yeah it was it was crazy that i was able to do it so soon i actually found that level four was a really an educational time um you know the fact that we're only able to go within five kilometers of where we lived meant that you know, I was really restricted and I, I was actually amazed with the with the birds that I got to see. Not rare birds. I mean, one bird that 
I very rarely got to see up here was a little a little sparrowhawk, which is not a rarity or anything. We were quite surprised to see just how many how many of them were around the neighborhood. And I think it was a lot of fun to actually explore that small radius and just to see just how many birds we actually have in our neighborhood. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, you know, I, I mean, I enjoyed. I don't know if enjoyed is the right word, but but during level three, even I, I spent an inordinate amount of time just in the garden, you know, watching what was coming into the garden and what was flying over the garden. And there were some really big surprises for me just in terms of local birds, um, because normally <laughs> I spend most of my time out in the field, not not in my garden. And then with uh, level four, it was also excellent just to do a lot of exploratory work just within the five kilometer radius of, of the house and find little little patches of habitat where you can eke out birds. So it became a sort of mini challenge in itself to see what all I could find close to home. So it, it definitely opened up my eyes to to what is around and available very, very close to, to where I live. And then what's your Western Cape birdless sitting on at the moment? Uh, it's on 540 species for the Western Cape. Um, and that, that only happened a few days ago um, when I got this the crazy woodland kingfisher. I mean, what a bizarre record to get in the Western Cape. I think something I'm always interested in is when does that fine line between an escapee and uh, a rarity come in? You know, I, I, obviously a woodland kingfisher we would know would be a rarity but or or an out-of-range bird. But, you know, we had uh, long-tailed paradise uh, whiters in my garden. And it was like, you know, they, they showed up a whole flock of them. And straight away people were saying, no, they must be must be an escapee. And it's always interesting to, to try and figure out where that where that line is drawn, you know, how do you know when it's an escapee versus when it's a bird that might just be out of range? Yeah, it's a it's a very it's a very fine line, and it's never easy to decide. I think the groups that are the toughest are, are waterfowl. I mean, they're very very tough to prove, and and then the seed eaters because seed eaters are such popular cage birds so the little estrildids the wax balls and fire finches and things like that and weavers bishops widers because they are unfortunately kept in cages um i mean sometimes it's it's fairly obvious you know we have uh, a couple of ross's terracos running around in cape town and violet terracos and and so they we don't even give it a second thought. We, we just naturally assume they're all escapees rather than genuine vagrants. And then there's there's some other, you know, we get things like red-billed firefinch turning up on the peninsula, which more than likely is going to be an escapee as well. Uh, but but often it's, it's a very tough thing to work out and you can never be 100% sure with certain birds. So just to give a little bit of context, a lot of people might be quite surprised when you we read the numbers that we're speaking about because people often often think of South Africa in terms of the fact that there's lots and lots of birds here. But the Western Cape is one of the most limited in terms of diversity of species in South Africa. So how many species are found in the area? Yeah, in terms of general species, you know, resident and regular migrants, it is fairly low. But the, the overall Western Cape list with, with all the vagrants is sitting at uh, I think it's 610 species now. And the challenge area, which is obviously uh, a limited area within the province, has got 519 species recorded in it. But one needs to look at it in context because a, a vast percentage of those uh, species are vagrants. So you spoke about the challenge area. Um, what area makes up that the Cape Town 150 challenge area and what sort of habitats would one encounter within the area? 
Okay, so the centre point is based at the Cape Town Stadium, which was the 2010 World Cup soccer stadium, uh, which is in the city itself. And then it's a 150 kilometer radius from there. So half of that is the ocean, which in Cape Town is not a bad thing because it, it, it basically includes everywhere that we go for our, our local pelagic trips for one day. So it, it's not that we ever go outside the circle on, on those pelagic trips. And then land-wise, to the north of Cape Town, it's just north of Feltriff, where the cutoff is. And then it sort of goes across um, through the Cedarburg and just into the very southern tip of the Tankwakaru, uh, and then cuts down uh, to include sort of Robertson and uh, McGregor, and then down into the Overberg area. It cuts literally just through the tip of the town of Napier, and then down to the coast uh, just east of Hansby would be the cutoff point. Habitat-wise... One or two little patches of forest, but really not much. A little bit of, of Karoo, uh, which is always exciting. Um, then obviously lots of uh, Fainbos. And it's, so it's coastal Fainbos, it's montane Fainbos, and then lots of wetlands as well. Um, freshwater wetlands and um, coastal tidal wetlands, which provide a lot of uh, interesting birds for us. Bird number one was a laughing dove, and bird number 372 was a blue-cheeked bee-eater. I'm sure you saw some really amazing birds last year. So of all the birds you saw, which were some of your favorite sightings and why? I think, the you know, in terms of, of the challenge, the favorite sightings would be the ones that were least expected with, within the area. I mean, I had some some fantastic interactions with local species and that, but I mean, just in terms of the challenge... I think the least expected were the favourites. And top of that list, I think, has to be the long-toed lapwing that turned up at uh, Ritflay Wetland Reserve, which is just so, so unexpected. Even on a South African scale, that's a pretty mega bird. Um, but there were, yeah, some pretty uh, bizarre other birds as well. I mean, we had an African cuckoo hawk in Stellenbosch, uh, a woolly neck stork near Hermon, Allen's gallinule at Macassar Sewage Works, and a crested barbet in Durbanville. I mean, you know, these birds are commonplace elsewhere in the country, but uh, in the Cape, they're almost unheard of. So it was very, very exciting to be getting these birds onto the big year challenge list. You know, Calvin, who's part of our team, always speaks about off when we come back from uh, Birding Big Day. He says it's it's just as fascinating to not just see the birds you saw, but also to look at some of the birds that you expect to see that might not have made the list. Were there any birds that you expected that you would have seen in 2020 that you didn't get to see? Uh, not really resident species, but they were... Uh, I expected to see a wandering albatross, which I didn't. And in fact... Nobody got a wandering albatross last year within the challenge area, so that was quite surprising. And the other one that I, I kind of expected to turn up because they're pretty much annual year was a Franklin's gull, which I didn't sniff the whole year. And of course, in the first two weeks of this year, we've had two Franklin's gulls at Strandfontein Sewage Works already. So that <laughs> that was a bit of a pain. Perhaps the most frustrating dips were those that I that I couldn't get to during the lockdown. Um, we had a a perp, an American purple gallinule that was found near Simonstown, um, which is a, a great bird, and we haven't had a record in Southern Africa for many, many years. And then there was also a small group of white-fronted bee-eaters that were found near Royals, and it was extremely frustrating to 
to know that the birds were there, but that I couldn't get there because of the lockdown. You know, one thing about you, every time, you know, if, if you follow you on Facebook, you do some really epic trips. So what were some of the cool trips that you managed to do in 2020 to see some of the birds you got to see? Um, gee, was <laughs> Listen, I suppose the craziest thing I did was, you know, I also, because I'm a Southern African twitcher, um, I, I did leave the challenge area a few times last year. And in January, in fact, I, I left it twice to go to the Eastern Cape to chase birds. Um, and the second one was a lesser noddy that was at Cape St. Francis. And I, I, I flew to Port Elizabeth and then we went, we drove down to Cape St. Francis and saw the bird and stayed over that night and saw it again the following morning and then flew back, I think, at 11 o'clock or something from Port Elizabeth landed in Cape Town at half past 12 and there was just news that a yellowbill stalk had been found in Feltriff so I took my wife home dropped her off because she was tired already and then I drove up to Feltriff which is a one and a half hour drive uh, saw the bird and then drove back obviously so yeah that was probably four hours or so and got home at five or half past five and literally as I walked into the house the news broke of a crested barbet in Durbanville. So I didn't even put my stuff down. I just turned around and walked back out into the car again and raced off to go and get the barbet. And yeah, I eventually got home after dark. So it, it turned into a very long and tiring day for sure. And I mean, there was there were other incidences of, of sort of crazy things uh, going into the Tankwa Karoo to go birding. And obviously you don't have any cell phone reception there. So you know, coming out of the Tangpakaru in the afternoon and, and as as you uh, nearing series on your way home, uh, suddenly the phone starts beeping and you look at all the messages and there's, you know, a message about a, I think it was a great egret at Feltriff. So we just uh, rerouted from the Tangpa through to Feltriff. Unfortunately, we dipped the bird that time, so it, but it was locate, relocated again a day or two later and we went back and got it. But yeah, it's... It, there were some long, long drives to, to get a lot of these birds, but it was a lot of fun in the end. I think one of the most frustrating experiences this year is your rare bird email that comes out. We love it, and honestly, we also hate it. We decided to do a trip up all the way up to St. Lucia and you know went chase after all the rarities there. And halfway through the day, the email came through about the Rock Prattenkol, which was like literally within 40 kilometers of where I stay. And it's amazing how many times, you know, you travel somewhere and on the same day you choose to travel and chase off to other rarities, somebody finds a rare bird that's just on on your doorstep. It's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I had uh, a couple of incidences like that last year. I Early on in the year, I think it was in February or sometime around then, I had gone out to right into the very east of the challenge area to a place called Rafir Sona End. And I was there fairly early in the morning. This was obviously before all of the lockdown happened. And news came through of a king penguin at Paternoster, which is on the west coast. So I was about as far east as I could get in the challenge area and literally about almost as far away as I could possibly get within the challenge area from where this penguin was. So I made the decision to to turn around and, and, and start chasing the penguin. But within 10 or 15 minutes, I got a message that the people from Sankob were already on their way. So if, I, if people were not ahead of Sankob heading up the West Coast, they were never going to get there in time. 
So I just canned the whole idea and, you know, decided that that was a bird that I was going to dip for the big year and so be it because I would never get there in time. Luck was on my side a few months later when another bird was found um, about, it was probably five kilometers from my house on the beach at um, Sunset Beach. So, and I fortunately got to hear about that just in time. I raced down there and ran down the beach to see the bird. Um, it got picked up by Sankob uh, within minutes after that. So a lot of other people missed it. But yeah, I fortunately managed to, to pull that one back. But there were others as well where I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, unfortunately. It just happens. And it's always when, whenever we travel somewhere and there's rare birds, it's always trying to figure out which one is the best one to chase first because, you know, you want to try and figure out, you know, if I, if I dip on this one here, I want to make sure I get this one here. So it's almost like trying to decide which one has most value to your bird list. So it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. I had a, a, a similar situation at the beginning of this year. I was in the northern Kruger Park and um, when that sooty gull got found at Kai Mouth and... We had, my wife and I had discussed it and said, well, we may even cut our trip short by a day or two to head down to Kaimouth. And then the bird disappeared and it wasn't seen for three or four days or something like that. And well, we decided obviously not to cut our trip short and yeah, that we'd missed the bird. And we were, we were driving back home. So we, we finished our trip up in Pufuri and we were driving, we'd driven down to Joburg and slept there that night. And then the next morning, left Joburg early and um, we're driving down the N1 back to Cape Town and we had just pulled into Colesburg at about 12.30 to get some lunch when the news came through that the bird had been relocated. It took all of a millisecond to make the decision and I said to my wife, I'm filling up, grab some takeaways, we're going to Kaimouth and uh, yeah, four and a half hours later or five hours later we were in Kaimouth looking at the bird. It was It all worked out perfectly in the end but it had been very nervous days before that. Yeah, on the last episode, we obviously spoke about, you know, some of your favorite spots around the country, even around the world to go and visit. But in terms of the 150 challenge era, what are, what are some of your favorite birding spots in the region? Look, two of my favorite groups are seabirds and waders. So that's that's where my focus is. Um, so obviously pelagic trips. Um, but wader-wise, I love the West Coast. So the West Coast National Park and Feldriff. Are, are particularly exciting, and also um, Roy Sunt Nature Reserve on the Bot River Lagoon. So those are spots that have, and they produced many rarities last year. Um, so definitely amongst my favourite spots to go birding. So as we, you know, start the beginning of the year, a lot of people are looking to do different bird asset challenges, whether it be a countrywide challenge, whether it be a 150 challenge, a 100 kilometer challenge, or even overseas, someone might be doing an eBird challenge or something. Um, what practical suggestions would you give for those who want to knock it out the park with their year list in 2021? It's, it's always a, a, a difficult one. You know, the way I approached it um, when, when I finally decided to give it a go last year was that I I made a decision first off that I'm I'm going to chase all the all the rarities that I can because in order to get a big number and to break a record that's what's going to make the difference. But I also started by saying I need to start the year getting all the summer migrants onto the list uh, in the first three months of the year and also try and get as many of the tougher birds that I can onto the list. So you know I made sure I got, I got all the swallows all the, the migrant waders, all the warblers, 
whatever the, the sort of regular summer migrants are, because I didn't want to land up at the end of the year having to still run around and, and, and look for those things. So that was one of the things that I concentrated on. And then the other thing was putting the time in to get the, the tougher birds, um, you know, things like fluff tails and crakes and what have you, because the the resident birds I could I could they would either just come along as as bycatch along the way, or I could do those in the quieter months in winter when there wasn't so many rarities or migrants around. So in local contests, things like Cape Rock jumpers and Protea canaries and things, I didn't waste time in in the first part of the year in the summer going to look for those. I would rather concentrate on on getting all the migrants. Uh, the tough birds and all the rarities, and then go and do the the easier resident birds in the winter time when when birding generally is a little quieter and there's not that many other things that I need to chase. So that by the time it came to the end of September, early October, I I had pretty much sorted out everything that I needed to on the list, and then it came down to just making sure that I could chase all the rarities that got found. I know in the last interview when we asked you how people can grow as birders, you spoke about the importance of understanding habitats and how that is really important if you want to grow as a birder. Etienne Marais on one of their webinars, he made the statement when he's speaking about birding big day, he said, chase habitats, not birds. And how important is it to, you know, go in a sense to, to chase different habitats to get a good bird list for, for a specific year or even your life list, if you want to say that much? Yeah, absolutely. Habitats are important. So trying to figure out where the the little patches of forest are within the challenge area, because that's going to add a suite of birds that otherwise you you wouldn't get. And then checking all all the the various wetlands for for wetland species, obviously. Um, and I mean, we've obviously got lots of cultivated farmland areas in the challenge area, which normally are not very birdy but you know you 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 get a number of larks and puppets and things in there that are not that easy to find elsewhere so it it does have a lot to do with habitats as well habitats and and timing so understanding the time of year that certain things turn up so you know it's not just about summer migrants we have certain species that only move in into our area in in the winter time, for instance, Karoo thrush moves onto the west coast in winter, and so that's the time that you need to go and look look at it, look for it late winter. Similarly, things like um, sentinel rock thrush, although it's a, a resident species here, they tend to be more obvious in winter. So you can you can go and waste time in the summer, and you'll have to work very very hard, and and maybe you'd be fifty percent successful or successful fifty percent of the time, whereas if you go in the winter time to the right areas, they tend to be far more obvious and you can get it within five or 10 minutes of arriving at a site. So it's, it's just about understanding yeah, habitats and, and bird movements and time of the year. It all, all helps. So last year, the Southern African rare bird email had its 12th year anniversary. Um, you have consistently sent this email out to the South African birding community over all the years. Um, but let's look back to 2020. What were some of the mega and giga specials that showed up in the region? Well, okay, interestingly, uh, we had four new birds added to the Southern African list last year, of which two were 
historical um, records, uh, Madagascan Pratincol and Forbes Watson Swift. And that came out of people during lockdown uh, digging back through their archives and, and finding the information and then the stuff coming to light. So obviously those weren't twitchable. Uh, and the other two new birds were the sooty gull that turned up at St. Lucia, which news only came out four days after the, the fact, so nobody got to see that. And then there was a northern carmine bee-eater um, up in the Caprivi, which was only around for a couple of hours one afternoon and then was gone again. So, so none of those birds were, were twitchable of the, of the firsts for the subregion, but we had... We had some fantastic birds last year. Nevertheless, we had the white-throated bee-eaters at, at Port Alfred, which um, surprisingly hung around for about two and a half days. And normally those birds only stay for a couple of hours before they disappear. There, there was the lesser noddy at Cape St. Francis. Uh, we had white-trumped sandpiper and Wilson's phalarope at Feltriff, the bed sandpiper at Strandfontein Sewage Works. Uh, there was red-rumped swallow near Mutari. Towards the end of the year, we had those uh, buff-breasted sandpipers at full flay. And then, obviously, there were the, the various Madagascan cuckoos that turned up, as well as a few golden pippets. So there was some really, really top-class birds that uh, turned up throughout the subregion last year. Uh, Trevor, when uh, there's a rare bird that shows up and it's not reported in time, you can almost feel your, let's use a nice word, your sense of dissatisfaction. I could probably use a stronger word but that nobody reports it in time. So let's just, I know we mentioned this in the last episode, but just for the sake of people who might not have heard it, if you spot a rarity or you think you've spotted a rarity, what does the process look like to report it so that other birders can get to see that bird? I think the, uh, the simple thing to do is literally just to contact me either via email or WhatsApp or telephone call, whichever is your preference. And let me know about what you found or what you think you found. Or, you know, even if you think it might be something, but you're not 100% sure, you know, ra rather ask. You know, the, the Sooty Gull at St. Lucia was a, a great example in that the finders only put the news out, I think it was four days after the fact. And as it turned out, there were actually other people at St. Lucia on the day, on the morning, at the same time that the Sooty Gull was there, who were birding in other parts of the estuary that didn't even know that it was there. So, you know, they missed that bird by, I don't know, by 100 meters or something. If the news had got out, they could have literally got the news and gone, walked straight across to where the bird was and seen it. And these things, it, it does happen, unfortunately. And, and sure, not everybody is a, is a super keen birder, but hopefully birders understand and want to share their finds with everybody else. I mean, we understand things where it's on private property and access is an issue. But, uh, you know, where it's on, on on public land and access is no issue, I think it's uh, it's only fair to, to share these finds with, with other birders and, and get them excited about it as well. So like we said, this has gone on for 12 years and just want to say, firstly, well done. It's awesome. It's an awesome achievement. But how do you feel that the rare bird email has contributed to birding in Southern Africa? Well, okay, first and foremost, hopefully it's given lots of people lots of lifers that they wouldn't necessarily have been aware about. But I also hope that it, it has encouraged more people to get into birding. And also, I've used it, um, the forum, on a few occasions to actually also encourage people to get involved with various conservation activities, uh, whether it be to raise funds for conservation or 
to join BirdLife South Africa or, or whatever the case may be. So I'm, I'm also hoping that people are aware that as much as we enjoy the rarities and the twitching, ultimately we've, we've all got a duty to look after the birds and the habitat as well. Otherwise there will be nothing for us in a few years or you know the next generation to enjoy. We all need to, to look after it in the end. We can't just leave it to a few people. I think it's also great the, the fact that, I mean, those the two young guys that found the buff-breasted sandpiper last year, the fact that your email goes out allowed them to, you know, get their names out a little bit. And some people might say it's not about that, but yeah, it, it makes it it makes birding fun. And I, I think it's also allowed newer birders to, you know, to be able to locate special species and which they might never have found before the, the, the email was going out. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I mean, I think that those buff-breasted sandpipers were a fantastic find by um, Justin and Mark. And um, it was great to be able to, I mean, we raced straight through there when we got the news. And, you know, those two guys had the biggest smiles on their face to see all these people that were, were coming in from all over the place to see these birds that they had found. And so that's, gonna, that's hopefully going to encourage them to carry on with the birding. It's wonderful to see young guys like that and young ladies as well getting involved in birding because, you know, it, it does have a bit of a stigma attached to it. And I know uh, when I was that age going through school and what have you, it was something that you got teased about. You had an interest in birds, it, you know, that it wasn't a cool macho thing to do. So, yeah, it's nice to see that there, there are still a lot of young people involved and, you um, I think it's good to to encourage them and to try and um, keep up with with the, the the trends that will will um, encourage uh, those people. So you know, bird clubs also need to try and um, probably rework their approach to things um, to keep the young people involved. Uh, you know, these days with social media and what have you, um, there's not that many younger people involved in the bird clubs. Uh, because it's it's just obviously not something that really appeals to them in terms of the way that the bird clubs currently op- operate. Obviously, there are some that are, that have changed their things and and are, are are doing great work to keep the youngsters involved. But I think you know it is something that the the bird clubs need to look at um, and how they attract the younger generation to get involved with the clubs. What is really awesome about Mark and Justin is Mark and Justin were actually guests on our youth birding podcast the week before they discovered the the, the sandpiper. And um, we got them back on the show and they came and shared a little bit of the story behind behind the story when they got to see the buff-breasted sand, sandpiper. But the cool thing is, and... You know, I think this is part of what happens with the with you through your email about young people getting better known. As as Mark now is actually going to be the co-host on our youth birding podcast, and that is so cool. A young guy, you know, getting his name out there and actually getting to speak to some really cool birders out there. And I think it's this is this for me is part of the impact that your rare bird email has had. So I just want to say, Trevor, it's just want to say thank you for the hard work you put into that. Yeah, thank you very much. Listen, you know. I enjoy it. So it, it, fortunately, it doesn't feel like work to me. And um, it's it's great to be able to share birds and birding with other people. I think that's first and foremost uh, the thing, that, the enjoyment that I get out of it. So, you know, as long as I can keep doing it, I, I, I will keep doing it. And But it does rely on other people to obviously provide 
some of the information as well. I can't just make it all up. <laughs> I actually need people to let me know about when they found uh, whatever good bird they found. So you run Zest for Birds, and that does pelagic trips off of the Cape. I mean, I know you just said earlier on, and I know it's one of your big passions is pelagic trips. All I can think of when it comes down to going out to sea off the Cape is how rough the seas seem to be, and it's a bit scary. Um, but I've only done a pelagic trip off of Durban. So can you tell us about pelagic trips off of the Cape? And uh, Because I've really heard they are epic. Yeah, listen, okay, first and foremost, this, the sea is not always that bad in the Cape. I mean, we have days where it is... is flat calm. So I think it's probably no different to Durban, really, in terms of conditions. You know, it varies from one day to the next, and you can have some some very calm days and some not so calm days. Uh, it's unfortunately just the nature of, of pelagic birding. Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, pelagic trips, certainly they can be extremely epic at times. You know, you can if you get out where there's quite a few fishing trawlers around, the numbers of birds can be absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, particularly in, in winter and, and spring, you can have 10,000 birds or more behind a trawler. It, it's just, it's almost a sensory over, overload. And at times it can be quite, come quite difficult to, well, not so much to pick out a bird. You, you know, you can find a, a good bird in amongst the huge numbers. But to get everybody else on board onto the bird becomes a real challenge because, you know, they're weaving all around you and moving amongst one another. And it's very easy to lose a bird in a flock like that. So, so that becomes a big challenge. I think um, also there's different birds at different times of the year. So in wintertime, we have bigger numbers of birds but in, and in summertime, less quantity but in summer we have more species because we have all the northern um, hemisphere migrants that arrive in our waters as well so yeah uh, there's different birds at different times of the year so one really has to do a, a few diff a few trips at different times of the year to sort of get a full a full experience of what the the cape pelagic birding is is all about i wouldn't knock the durban pelagics they provide some fantastic birds some of them make me extremely jealous but yeah, Cape, Cape pelagic birding is pretty epic on its own as well. And I'll pop a link into the comment section of this podcast just in, just for those who want to connect with Zest for Birds, also for your details for reporting rare birds. So Trevor, you've smashed almost every record in Southern Africa. Um, so what are your what plans do you still have as a birder? Man, Adam, birding is ultimately, it's got very little to do with numbers and records and what have you. I mean... That's all a little bit of fun on the side. But I, I think as a birder, you know, I like to continue to learn every day uh, a little bit about about something, uh, you know, whether it's an ID, <clears throat> a new ID feature that I didn't know about, some little um, adaptation that I didn't know about, or any, any um, biological fact of interest that I didn't know about. So I think that's that's really one of the main things is to continue to learn and grow as a birder. You never get to a point where you know everything. And in fact, the, the more experience you have and the more you go birding, the more you realize, the less you know, if that makes any sense. And then I suppose also just to keep on trying to do my bit to encourage pe people to get involved with birding and, you know, where I can to help out uh, with whatever conservation efforts need uh, need to be assisted with. 
And I didn't put this question on, so it's going to kind of catch a little bit off guard. But in terms of resources, what are some of the resources that you use? Books, websites, you know, what resources would you would you recommend for those who are listening that want to grow in terms of their birding and identification and that kind of thing? What what resources do you recommend? Goodness. Um, yeah, looks, I mean, there's a lot of fantastic books on, on, on local birds at the moment available. You know, there's Roberts and Sassel and Newman's. I can't even think of all the all the field guides. Um, so those are those are always good books to have and, and, and the apps that are associated with them as well. I obviously also have a, a, a lot of books that cover um, other parts of the world and in particular guide, guides to Europe and the UK and America. Are pretty useful when it comes to looking at vagrants and things like that. My bird book collection is, um, I don't actually know how large it is, it's many hundreds of books, so it's difficult to pick out a few, but I mean, I also love the sort of group species books, so, uh, you know, shorebirds or seabirds or woodpeckers of the world or sunbirds of the world, because they tend to provide a lot more in-depth information on particular species that than what can be included in the in the field guides, yeah. And then uh, websites. Wow, there's just so many to mention. I don't particularly follow any any websites, but um, it's always useful to to just have you know Google search certain things. And I mean things like the BirdLife International website is useful when I'm looking for distribution maps of um, foreign species or even eBird for that matter you know, information that's not necessarily available in, in our local books. And then obviously, I suppose I, I can't go without mentioning Fancy's books as well, the LBJ's book and the Waders book. I mean, those are fantastic resources for, for local birders as well. Oh, Trevor, I really want to say thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It's always good to have a chat to you. It's like you know, sitting at the feet of, like I said last time, like the, the godfather of South African birding. So thanks for being on the show. It's always good. Uh, thanks very much, Adam. I, I'm sorry if it's gone over time again. Um, I always seem to do that, but uh, hopefully you can edit it down to whatever is required. Oh, that's no, cool. I think this is like 46 minutes of gold. So thanks, Trevor, for all the information and everything you've said. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much for inviting me back. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Bird Enough project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there do not forget to follow the birding life on instagram and facebook we really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts be sure to check out bird lasser and download the app on either ios or android and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation as well as sarovsky optic one of the world's leading producers of binoculars binoculars and spotting scopes So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.